let us pray. Most wise and eternal God, we thank you this evening. We thank you, Lord, because you've been better to us than we've been to ourselves. We thank you for the visionary leader, our pastor, Dr. Raymond M. Gordon. We thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for him and his family as you continue to bless them. We thank you for the preacher, the pastor, Dr. Tony Evans, who will break the bread of life into our hearts and souls. Dear Heavenly Father, bring all our wandering thoughts into focus on you. Let our hearts be receptive to your word. Bless everyone under the sound of my voice. And when it's said and done, and we depart from this place never from your presence, may we say, did not our hearts burn with the word of God? So we thank you tonight. We thank you for traveling mercy. We thank you for this ministry. We thank you for the man of God. We just say thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Have your way tonight. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading tonight will be from the book of Colossians, the first chapter. We will be reading the 16th verse through the 20th verse. And the word of God reads as following. For by him all things create, all things created, that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things that were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be the things in the earth or the things in heaven. The Lord will have the blessing on the readers and hearers of his word. Amen? Amen.
Uh, someone in heaven asked John, who's worthy? And John said he looked around heaven and there was nobody in heaven on earth or under the earth that was worthy to take the book out of the Father's hand. And John started crying. And one of the elders say, cry not John, for there's a lamb. Can I get a witness? He was a lamb the first time he came. When he comes back, he's going to be a lion. He's a lion from the tribe of Judah. He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. He's the potentate of paradise. Can I get a witness? And, and my Bible says there's only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Not Raymond God, not Buddha, not Hindu, not Mohammed. There's one name. And every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. You may be seated. Praise his name. Praise his name. I know we got a lot of visitors here tonight. Some of you are saying, boy, we making all this noise. Well, go home and read 2 Chronicles 20. When Jehoshaphat heard that the enemy was coming. And Jehoshaphat called the fast, didn't he? He prayed, didn't he? And the instruction from God to Jehoshaphat was, call the Levites and let them sing my praises. And the enemy said, we hear noise in the camp. It, it, it was the noise of praise. They were praising God in advance for what God was going to do. That sounds like faith to me. Faith is calling things that be not as though it already was. Faith is believing God in spite of your obstacles and in spite of your fractures. Can I get a witness? For by the elders, for by it the elders received a good report. We greet you tonight in the precious, miraculous, exalted name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am just so pleased that my dear friend and mentor and, amen, associate, Dr. Tony Evans, is here tonight. Amen. Dr. Evans is an international expositor, second to none. Praise, praise the name of Jesus. And, and we ought to be excited to hear a word from heaven. Can I get a witness? He can preach and he will preach. He can exposit and he will exposit. Can I get a witness? So Dr. Evans, we're glad to have you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for blessing us with your gifts and your presence. And I wanna just throw this out. Uh, next year, should the Lord spare life and delay his coming, amen. Um, in 2018, Wednesday, April the 25th, Dr. Evans will be in a one-night revival on Wednesday, and then Thursday through Saturday, we're going to our men's retreat, and he's our keynote speaker. Amen. Church, say amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Now, we do have, uh, amen, flyers, applications. If you're interested next year in attending 
um, our men's retreat where Dr. Evans will be our keynote. Raise your hand. We have some in the back. I'd like to give them to you. Just raise your hand. We're not asking you for no money. Not yet. Praise the Lord. Just, just give them. Just pray. In, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Old preacher said there's three books in the church. The Bible book, the hymn book, and the pocket book. We'll get, we'll get to the pocketbook in a minute. Praise the Lord. Isn't the Lord good? The Lord has blessed us with one of his true champions. Amen. True, true champions in the faith. And we are excited uh, about the night and what this great man of God has to say. Praise the Lord. Uh, I've been here 30 years, and my first 10 years, I spent going down to the Urban Alternative with uh, Dr. Evans and learning, sitting under him, learning, learning, learning. Great, great expositor. I was with him several times at Moody as he spoke. Great, great expositor. We thank the Lord for him, and we are blessed to have him here. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen and amen. I want to thank our elders, thank our choir, Sister Garrison. Good to see you, darling. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to thank our ushers, our hostesses, kitchen people, and everyone who's here tonight. We thank God for you. And uh, what I'd like to do is have the choir sing and come back for an offering. Amen. amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, truly God is amen. And awesome, awesome God. Reminds me of the story that uh, these two brothers were rich, filthy rich, but they were wicked. And this pastor was trying to build an addition onto the church. It was going to cost over $2 million. And one of the brothers died suddenly. And the other brother came to the pastor and said, I'll pay for that wing if you just have the funeral here and tell everybody that my brother was a good man. And the man, and the pastor said, I can't do that. Everybody know you and your brother are wicked? He said, well, I, I got $2 million for you if you can say that my brother's a good man. So he said, okay, I'll do it. And at the funeral, the brother was laid out, and the pastor got up and said, this man, this casket was a no good, dirty rotten sinner but compared to his brother he was a good man <laughs> praise the name of Jesus we're going to hear our choir now church say amen
praise him. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. We thank the Lord for our ministry of music. Thank the Lord for our illustrious choir. Amen. Praise his name. Now it's offering time. And God loves a cheerful giver. You can't be God-given no matter how you try. We're taking up just one offering for our highly esteemed expositor, Dr. Tony Evans. If you're making out checks, make it out to him. Amen. We want you to give to what hurts. God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. And as our ushers and deacons come at this time, amen, there's no offering for the church. We are a tithing church. Amen. On the first day of the week, we tithe. Amen. amen. So this whole offering is for the preacher. Amen. amen. And as they come, our great choir will give us another selection. Church, say amen.
my, 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 my. Dr. Woolley, uh, you, you'd like to come up to, uh, to the pulpit? Amen. That's uh, Dr. Willie Robinson, former pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church in Philadelphia. We thank God for you. I was just kidding with Dr. Evans. I gave four cruises, and the first cruise was over 300 people. And Dr. Evans, Dr. A.L. Patterson, Dr. Charles Walker was on it. And we had a time. We rocked that boat, man. We rocked that boat. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And I was just, we were back here laughing, thinking about that cruise. And uh, boy, that was quite some time. Thank God for you. We come up, please. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. In the Lord good. In the Lord good. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the giver and Lord God, those that had a heart to give but could not. We pray your blessings upon this offering to this great man of God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now, I don't have to take too much time to introduce to some and present to others. Dr. Tony Evans is a household name. He graduated with honors from Dallas Theological Seminary, who has always been one of the premier expositors in this country and world. And um, he is the eminent, illustrious pastor of the Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. Praise the name of Jesus. And, uh, and that was another thing on a cruise. We, uh, Dr. Patterson and Dr. Walker and myself, was trying to uh, kind of quirks him to become a Baptist. Praise the Lord. So I told Dr. Evans, I said, even John was a Baptist. And he was Jesus' cousin, so that makes Jesus a Baptist. Isn't that stretching the scriptures a little bit? Praise the name of Jesus. So, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but he is a phenomenal, phenomenal expositor. Can I get a witness? Phenomenal. Thank God for him. And um, if he preaches and you don't move, you're constipated. Because the word of God that comes out of this man's mouth is so rightly divided and powerful. Can I get a witness? It's like when the uh, disciples on the Emmaus Road walked with Jesus, didn't know who he was, and said, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way? When you leave here, you'll be burning with the word of God. Can I get a witness? So the next voice you'll hear is that is the illustrious eminent pastor of the Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas, the president founder of Urban Alternative, and we love him. And when he comes, we're going to stand and give him a round of applause. Amen? Amen. Take us up, choir.
coming back here just to hear the choir. Marvelous, thank you. To my good friend and co-laborer, Dr. Gordon, thank you for your friendship, thank you for your leadership, thank you for the way I am welcome each time I come. Sister Gordon, it's so good to see you again. And um, I was telling him of all the invitations I get to speak, this is the only place I come to regularly, yeah. only church I come to regularly. So. So I am, uh, I am honored to be with you here again and to have the privilege of speaking to family and friends of St. Matthew's and to have the opportunity to bring uh, God's word and to uh, communicate it to the great people here. Um, our team is out back. We have a number of new books that we brought, uh, Kingdom Marriage, also uh, Kingdom Family Devotional, something you can use with your family around the table. And then um, a book that I want to speak about tonight, which we just got a couple of weeks ago, called Detours, The Unpredictable Path to Your Destiny. And that's what I want to chat with you about today because many of us feel like we're on a detour. Yeah, yeah. We feel like... Uh, where we started and where we are doesn't seem to connect. All right. A detour is an unexpected change in a route. You plan to go here to there and something happened that took you off course. Now a detour happens for one of three primary reasons. One, there has been a disaster on the highway. There's been an accident. And because of the nature of the accident, you are detoured. Something has gone wrong. You may not have been in the accident, you may not have caused the accident, but you're caught up in the detour. Oftentimes you find your life not being where you hoped it would be, thought it would be, needed it to be because of what other folks have done. And their disaster has rerouted your life. You're in a place now that you did not prefer to be. Another reason why people detour is because of their own desires. In other words, they desire to take another route. The first one is disaster. Something else has gone wrong that has affected you. But in a desire, you have affected yourself. See, many of us are not on detours because of what other folk have done, but because of what we have done. And our own rebellion, our own disobedience has created a detour putting us in a place that we would rather not be. But there's a third reason for a detour. And a third reason for a detour is that not only is there a disaster or a desire to go my own way, but there's a development occurring. There's construction on the highway. 
And when they're trying to fix something or build something up, they detour you around it or out of the way because they're not ready for you to go that direction until they fix what's wrong or build up what's broken. Either way, you're not on a straight line anymore. Now, if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, you know what it is to be on a detour. And the only reason you call it a detour is because it is rerouting you in relationship to a destination. So you had planned to go from here to here and you had pretty much decided initially to go on a straight line. But on your way from here to here, the straight line was interrupted by a disaster, a desire, or by some development and you're not in your original place to go to your intended destination. If you name the name of Jesus Christ, God has a destination. We know he has an eternal destination, that's called heaven, but he also has a historical destination. And that is him fulfilling his will for your life. It's called your destiny. The problem, the frustration, the irritation, and the exacerbation with God is that instead of taking us directly to his destination for our lives, he zigzags us there. He moves and meanders through twists and turns and ups and downs. And sometimes we don't even know where we are. As one gentleman told me, he said, I was on a detour. My detour met another detour. They got married and had a baby detour. Because sometimes detours have detours. In fact, you can detour so far from your original intended destination, you don't even remember where you were supposed to go in the first place. Because life has its way of detours. So when I was writing the book Detours and talking about this, if you will look through the panels of history, you will discover that rarely will you find a person in scripture who went directly from where God wanted them to be and arrived there without a detour. Yeah. All the way in the beginning when God told uh, uh, Israel to leave uh, Egypt, he took them down south before he brought them back up north to cross them across the Red Sea because your emotional instability was not ready for the test of the Red Sea. Abraham and Sarah concocted a detour plan to have a baby independently of God, putting them on a 25-year detour before God could entrust them with his original plan. Moses decided he would take on all on his own, the deliverance of God's people. And so he slew an Egyptian who was fighting with an Israeli and that took him on a 40-year detour before God was ready to use him to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. So life and God's servants are full of detours. My goal in the few moments I'm with you tonight is to help you make sense of the detour you are currently on or 
to get you ready for the detour you're about to incur or to correct you from staying on a detour longer than you need to. Because the goal is to get you to the place God wants you so that he can use you to accomplish your destiny. Your destiny as a believer is your divinely oriented, divinely prescribed reason for being. It is how God wants to use you, how he wants to get glory from you, and how he wants to access you for the advancement of his kingdom. That's called your destiny. You don't want to end your life wondering why you were here. And you don't want to come and stand before the Lord and him ask you, did you do the work that I called you to do? And you say, I don't even know what that was. You want to be able to say, like the Lord says in John 17, I have completed the work that you have called me to do. But that work is not a straight line. It's not from A to B to C. It's from A to F to R to D to Y to P to S to Z. God zigzags us from where we are to where he wants us to be. So to understand that, there is one figure in scripture that illustrates this truth of meandering in and out of the plan of God to your prescribed destiny like none other. And three verses sums it up at the end of Genesis chapter 50. Yeah. In Genesis chapter 50, we read these three verses. Verses 19 through 21. Yeah. But Joseph said to them, yeah. Do not be afraid, for I, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he commanded them and spoke kindly to them. He raises the question in verse 19, am I in God's place? Let me translate that. That is asking, am I where God wants me to be? Am I not now doing what God wants me to do? Aren't I now the recipient of all the things God took me through to bring me here? In other words, all that I've been through has been designed to bring me to this place. And so I want to give you the good news before I get ready to give you the bad news. The good news is God has a place for you. He has a location for you to be able to bring him the greatest glory and to bring you the greatest good and others the greatest benefit. He has a place for you. And I don't want you to live any longer in your life whatever time you have left not moving toward that place yeah, yeah. 
Now, to understand how to get from where you are, wherever that is, to where God wants you to be, you need to know the second most important theological truth that you could ever know. It is second to only one other thing. The first theological truth to which you must be committed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You must understand clearly that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, arose from the dead for you, in order to give you eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, and the destiny called heaven. The gospel is the first thing you need to understand. But the second thing, if you have come to Christ, that you need to understand is the providence of God. You need to understand the providence of God because if you do not understand that, you will not react to your detours properly. See, if you do not understand providence, then you will react to what you see. And if what you see is all that you see, you do not see all there is to be seen. If you only see what people did and what people said and how people acted and how they did, if that's all you're looking at, then you will always be reactionary. And you will not see the providence of God. The providence of God is a theological subset of the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God refers to God's control over all things. Underneath the sovereignty of God is the providence of God. The providence of God is the invisible hand of God in the glove of history. It is where God stitches together all events, all activities, and all people, and he sews them together to bring about his purposes. So when God brings about a detour in your life, he is merely putting thread in a needle in order to stitch a garment designed to sew your destiny. But in stitching the garment in order to sew your destiny, it will involve things you didn't bank on, things you did not understand, things that confuse you, things that upset you, things that irritate you, things that exacerbate you, things that frustrate you. They will include all of that because all of that is in the stitching of providence. A man one day came to his uh, boss, his boss called him in, he said, now I have asked all the uh, folks in the company to, uh, to give to the United Way. I want 100% participation in giving to the United Way. But I see you have not participated in giving to the United Way. He said, no, I, I'm, 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 I've decided not to participate. He said, well, uh, you put me in a catch-22 because my requirement is that I wanted everybody to participate in giving to the United Way. I wanted 100% participation. So I'm now in a catch-22 because if you don't participate, I don't have 100% participation. Therefore, you have two options. You can change your mind 
or I can release you from your job so I have 100% participation. To which the man said, well, nobody quite explained it to me like that before. And so as we seek to explain your detours from the life of Joseph, I hope that even though we can only summarize it in a sermon, you can get all the, the details of it later, but, uh, but I want you to understand that there are no such things as chance happenings. In Providence, the word luck should not be in your vocabulary. You cannot have luck and God, chance and God, happenstance and providence. I mean, luck is fundamentally a non-Christian word. We got luck. We got uh, lucky dog. We got wish me luck, plain luck, lady luck, luck be a lady, bad luck, rotten luck and pot luck. We got luck everywhere. But when it comes to what God is doing in your life, there is no luck. So if there is one word or class of words you must remove from your vocabulary, it is luck because to believe in luck is to create an idol. Because you've given life to an inanimate object and given it control of circumstances. So there's no bad luck or good luck. There is a sovereign providential God who works through the affairs of men and he never says, oops, that caught me by surprise. You can't have that and sovereignty. The doctrine of providence is fundamental to every event in your life. One and one is two. One and one has always been two. One and one is two. One and one will always be two. And predicated on that, you can now do basic math, algebra, geometry, trigonometry, and calculus. But if you ever lose that one and one is two, algebra collapses, geometry collapses, trigonometry collapses, calculus uh, collapses because that fundamental understanding of basic math becomes the foundation for all other mathematical formulas. The providential work of God is fundamental to making sense of the things that don't make sense that occur in your life. And that happens to us all. Now if there was anybody who should not have succeeded, it should have been Joseph. Joseph's daddy had 12 children by four different women. Joseph's siblings were murderers, rapists, incestuous, evil men. Joseph, when it looked like his family background, wasn't going to turn out to be a good kid. Not based on the family in which he was raised. So let's start at the end and go back to the beginning. If Joseph was toe up from the flow up in the family structure in which he was raised, that ought to let you know, regardless of your history, 
background, how bad your daddy was, how bad your siblings are, that no longer has to be where you wind up. Because when Joseph ends his story, he says, I may have started in a bad place, but I ended up in God's place. So don't let your background determine where you wind up. And so, Joseph says, I am now in God's place. I am in the place God wants me to be. But to be able to see that, you've got to look through providence. Now, I'm, I'm 67 years old, and today, I do not yet wear glasses. I, 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 I've not had surgery. I don't wear reading glasses. I, uh, I, I don't wear glasses. Now, before you get too impressed, <laughs> let me explain what my optometrist explained to me. He said, your left eye is 20-20. But he says, your right eye is very blurry. He says, but because your left eye is 20-20, it compensates for the weakness in your right eye. So you think your right eye is okay. Actually, your right eye, right eye is jacked up. But because your left eye is okay, and it compensates for the weakness in your right eye, you think you can see real good. In your own human sight, life gets blurry. When you look at what's going on in your world, everything is squiggly. But if you put that other pair of eyes on it from God's perspective, while it doesn't change the confusion over here, it brings illumination so that you can still see straight enough to go straight enough regardless of the detour that you happen to be facing. Now, how does this detour work? How does the meandering that God takes us through to our destiny work? He says it, and he says it very plainly in verse 20. He says, as for you, you meant it for evil. So the first thing I want you to note is that your destiny will include evil. And it will include evil on purpose. He didn't say you were evil. He said you were evil on purpose. Anybody know any on purpose evil folk? They just evil because they evil. They're on purpose. He says you meant it for evil. It was intentional what did they do they put him in a pit they put him in a hole he couldn't get out of they stuck him in a situation he couldn't fix and they did it on purpose some of you are sitting here today and you've been abused on purpose you've been abandoned on purpose you've been misused on purpose you've been mistreated on purpose but even though you did it on purpose, I'm in God's place. So when even when evil folk are doing evil things, that's not the last word. You may have been born in a bad situation. Your family may have messed over you, and they may have done it on purpose. You meant it for evil. But God meant it. So while you were doing something on purpose, God was doing something on purpose because God meant it. 
you meant it and God meant it. Which means when you mean something and God means something, his meaning something can override your meaning something so that when his meaning something overrides your meaning something, I still wind up in God's place. He says, am I not in God's place? Now, three things took place. Three categories of things took place in Joseph's life for him to get in God's place. Number one, he had to go through a time of testing. Testing. Testing refers to adverse circumstances that God allows to take place in the life of his people in order to develop them spiritually. A test is an inconvenient, negative experience that God allows to take place in your life in order to take you to the next spiritual level. If there is something negatively occurring in your life, I'm not talking now about something you control. I'm talking about something out of your control, but it has a negative effect on you. It's like the disaster on the highway. Joseph was put in a pit that he didn't ask for. He was put in a hole where he was stuck. When God allows a test, one eye is going to see a negative, painful situation. But that other eye has got to say, okay, God, what are you doing? Why? Because providence means nothing can hit you before it passes through his fingers first. Anything that hits you has to hit you with divine okay. God has to allow it or cause it before you ever see it, hear it, or feel it. And so he was put inside a hole and it was a test. And it was not going to be the only test. Remember when you were in school and you had a test? Every grade had a new test. Those tests came in different shapes and different sizes. Some were pop quizzes. Those were little teeny tests that just kind of showed up every now and then. Then there was midterms and finals. Those were major exams. All of the tests together determined whether you got passed to the next grade. Now let me tell you something about God's test. He believes in retest. So if you fail, he knows how to bring it back around again so you can take it again till you pass. So he does believe in retest. There are retests all through the Bible of people he had to go over the same thing over and over again until he passed it. So just to help you out, the sooner you pass, the sooner you graduate. The bad news is when you graduate, that's another test because you're in a new grade. So he went through tests. He also went through temptation. He's in Potiphar's house. It looks like God has come through for him. When God has come through for him, he's excited. He's, he's gotten to the top of the company now. Potiphar's wife comes in and tempts him. Testing is when God causes something or allows something in your life 
Temptation is when, watch this, God allows Satan to bring something into your life. Uh, let me say that again. When we are tempted, we will easily say, that ain't nothing but the devil. That's not quite correct. That is the devil being allowed by God to tempt you. Even the devil has to get permission to mess with you. You remember Job? Job was a righteous man. But Satan came to God and asked God, can I touch him? And God said, you can touch him to this limit. That he, not, he allowed Satan to tempt Job, but he put boundaries on how much temptation he can get. Because the devil is not merely that devil, he's God's devil. And since he's God's devil, because God is sovereign even over the devil, God allows the devil to tempt you. Why? So that you can see whether you are as strong as you thought you were and whether you are as strong as you're telling everybody else you are. Because it's easy to be a spiritual Christian when there's no temptation. It's easy to love Jesus when there is no devil. It's easy to obey God when hell is not coming at you. You know, uh, I'm an awesome basketball player when I'm playing by myself. When I'm playing by myself, I am literally unbeatable. But one day, one of the Dallas Mavericks came over my house, and I had this court in the backyard, and he, we began to play each other one-on-one, -on -one and all of a sudden, I wasn't so good anymore because I had six-foot-six worth of NBA all up in my grill. See, it's easy to love the Lord on Sunday when there's no competition in the house. When everybody else is saying the same thing, singing the same songs. But no, temptation is designed to reveal to you. You remember Peter? In Luke 22, Jesus told Peter, Peter says, I don't care what the rest of the disciples do. I am never going to leave you. I am never going to forsake you. You can count on me. I am your main man. Jesus said, shut up, shut up, shut up. Before 24 hours is up, cock-a-doodle-doo. The cock will have crowed. Let me explain how this works, Peter. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Please don't miss. Satan has requested. He has asked us to allow us to allow him to mess with you and to mess you over. And guess what? I'm not going to stop it. Because you think more of yourself than you ought to think. You think you're all that and a bag of chips. And just to let you know, you're not nearly as spiritual as you think you are. We in the Trinity are going to allow Satan to mess with you. Not only are we going to allow him to mess with you, we're going to time it before tomorrow morning. Okay? And, and you, you're not even, even going to get a 24-hour break. Now, if I was Peter, I would have gone to the local Holiday Inn. I would have locked myself in a room 
in light of that prediction, but he was so confident. And then he goes out and he denies the Lord three times, the third time with cursing, and then he hears cock-a-doodle-doo. Because, see, God knows where you are spiritually even when you don't know you're there. But to take you to your destiny, he even allows the devil to detour you in your thinking. Because he knows that in order for him to use you, you got to be in a usable place. And so he tempts him. Joseph passed the test. And when he passes the test, we're given a phrase that is used regularly throughout Joseph's life. It says, and God was with him. Whoa, wait a minute. When he's in the pit, God is with him. When he's being tempted by Potiphar's wife, God is with him. And then we have the problem of injustice. Because he's sent to jail for a crime he didn't commit. Anybody here ever been blamed for something you didn't do? Criticized and abused and rejected for, for no legitimate reason. He's facing injustice. But guess what it said? And God was with him. That's because providence says you're not in jail by mistake. It may not have been right, but in order for it to happen, it had to pass through his fingers first. He had to allow it, so he's now in jail. Now, I'm going to give you a secret now. This is a, this is a little secret. But if you grab this little secret and hold on to it, it will help you when things are not going right. When God looks like he's unlocatable. Because when you're on a detour, God is hard to find. Okay? And when you're on a detour, the line is busy. When you're on a detour, your prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing back. And it looks like God is on vacation. You remember the disciples when they were crossing the sea of Galilee in Mark chapter 4? They cross the sea in Mark chapter 4. And a storm breaks out. Jesus had been teaching. And now he tells them to get in the boat. They get in the boat to cross an eight-hour track across the Sea of Galilee. A storm breaks out. Jesus is asleep in a storm. But he's not only asleep, we're told he's asleep on a cushion. A cushion is a pillow. Now, if you're asleep on a pillow, that means you meant to go to sleep. I mean, if you didn't tuck the pillow up under your head, you're not nodding. You, you didn't put that thing up under there, and you're going to sleep on purpose. Jesus goes to sleep on purpose. And when you're in a detour, when God lets you go in a storm, and he's sleeping on you, so the disciples come up to him, and they wake him up. And they say, carest thou not that we perish? Because when you're on a detour in the will of God, and you're doing what God told you to do because he told him, get in the boat. And it's storming. And Jesus is sleeping. Jesus gets up and says, oh, ye of little faith. Yeah, yeah. What do you mean, oh, ye of little faith? <laughs> me, ye of little faith. You, you told us, get in the boat. <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. And then he asked him on top of that, why are you so timid? Why are we so timid? How about because we're getting ready to die? 
Jesus says, you weren't paying attention. When I told you to get in the boat, I said, let us go to the other side. I didn't say, let us go halfway. I didn't say, let us get into the boat. See, I, I heard y'all. When I said, let us go, you said, go, go, go. Master said, let's go, go, go. Then I said, uh, other side. I heard y'all say, amen, other side, amen, other side. Praise God for the other side. See, you can be amen in a sermon and not being paying attention to the message. He said, let us go to the other side. But they forgot what he said because they were staring at the circumstances. And whenever you let your circumstances override what God says, you will be subject to the detour of your emotions. And so he's there. But here's the secret. When God is asleep on you, or, or he seems like he's asleep, you always look for one thing because it will always let you know if he's there. And that is the principle in scripture of two or three witnesses. Okay? The scripture says, by two or three witnesses shall a matter be confirmed. In fact, in chapter 41, verse 32, Paul, uh, Joseph tells Pharaoh, because you dreamt the dream twice, we know that this is what God has to say. So he's in prison, but watch what happens. Potiphar sends in the prison. But then Potiphar comes into the prison and promotes him to be head of all the prisoners like he was head of everyone in Potiphar's house. Which tells me Potiphar didn't believe his wife. Because he comes to the prison and he elevates him. Twice Potiphar shows up. Two prisoners enter the prison. The cupbearer and the baker. And the two prisoners have two dreams. So that happens in the prison. He's given a two-year sentence in the prison. And Pharaoh has a dream twice. So even when you don't see God, look for two witnesses. Look for two substantiations that he's here even when you don't see, feel, or hear from him. He does it a million different ways, but he testifies. Now, let me tell you something else. When God is meaning something that's bad, a detour, for good, he will appear to come through and then disappoint you again. Okay, let me say that again. Have you ever been in a situation where it looked like God answered your prayer? I mean, it, it, looked, like, it looked like God had come through the money was going to come through. The job was going to come through. He, it looked like he was going to come through and then zoom, it went left on you. And God disappoints you when it looked like he appointed you. When God goes left on you, when it looked like he blessed you, it's because he's taking you to another level of preparation for your destiny. Now, I know I'm skimming the whole life of Joseph. It goes from chapter 37 all the way to 50. But remember, he interprets the dream of the, of the cupbearer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cupbearer is now just praising Joseph. Joseph says, now I did you a favor. 
I gave you the dream that saved your life. So here's what I want you to do. Remember me to Pharaoh. Because I'm not here because I did something wrong. In fact, I didn't do anything wrong. You remember me to Pharaoh. He said, I got your back. I got you. The Bible says the cupbearer forgot. And Joseph had to languish in prison for two extra years. Just when he thought he was being released. Not only that, but Psalm 105 verses 18 and 19 tells you what was happening with Joseph in prison. Psalm 105 says while he was in prison, he was in shackles in the dungeon. The dungeon is the lowest part of the prison. So not only is he no longer over the prisoners, he is now in the dungeon, in shackles, and life has become monotonous. Everything is routine. Every day is the same. Nothing is changing. Nothing is turning. Nothing is getting better. Life has become monotonous. For two years, when I only did right, when I ministered in my prison, I ministered to these guys. And now, God, you're going to leave me alone for two more years? But Psalm 105 says, until the time. You see, your detours will involve trials, temptation, and timing. It says, until the time. We need to understand something about God's view of time. He does not view it like we view it. Everything for God is present tense. He does not have a past. God can never say about himself, I was. Okay? Nor is he future. But God cannot define himself as I will. He can only define himself as I am. When Moses asked, who should I tell them sent me? He says, you tell them, I am that I am sent you. Okay? I is a personal pronoun. M is the present tense. And when they want you to define the personal pronoun with the present tense, you define the personal pronoun with the present tense by a personal pronoun and a present tense. You tell them, I am that I am sent you. Meaning, I am always in the now. I don't have yesterday, I don't have tomorrow. Which is why you never have to worry about whether the prophecies of heaven and whether the revelation that y'all just went through, whether all that's going to happen. Because he's already been there and come back. It's already now for him, okay? He's not waiting to see, like we're waiting to see, if it's going to happen. He's already been there and it's all in the present tense. In fact, when you're in heaven and there is no more time, Okay, 100 quadzillion years from then will be now. In other words, when you're in heaven, 100 quadzillion years, it will be as the same moment that you entered because it will all be now for there will be no night, no day, no way of measuring time for there will be no time so zillions of years from now when I see you and you see me at the corner of Gold Street and Boulevard it'll just be now because there is no time everything is now
So, so God has to look at everything from a now perspective. So when your time meets his time, it's now time. When your purpose, let, let me, the doctrine of God, and I know I'm mixing the story and theology here, but there's so much here. That, that when, let, let me tell you how detailed God is, okay? Because we really don't know who we're dealing with, okay? We, we, I, know, I know we sing the song, we say the words. Look, God is infinite, which means there is no end to him. That's why you have to live in heaven for eternity because it's going to take eternity to discover all that he is. Because he is the inexhaustible God, okay? Now, don't think about that too deep or you're going to jump out the window because I understand that. In one drop of water, in one drop of water, there is six six trillion atoms in one drop of water there is six six trillion atoms now add to that all the dams all the streams all the rivers all the oceans all the sea the earth is two-thirds water and in one drop there is six six trillion atoms if God lost track of one atom in all the water on all the planet Earth, he could no longer be God because he would no longer be omniscient. If he lost track of one atom, then he, he, would, he would explode because he would not exist anymore because he wouldn't be who he is. On the average head of hair, folk who still have hair, on the average head of hair, there is 100,000 strands. 100,000 strands. Multiply that by 7 billion people. How many strands do you have? Well, we don't have enough zeros to stretch out that far of the octillions of, of strands of hair there is. Yet scripture says not one hair falls to the ground of which God does not know. Now, if he can count all the hairs of all the people who are alive and have ever lived, what did you tell me your problem was? What did you tell me your situation was? We have to understand who we're dealing with. And so when you things have gone left and you're on a detour, keep your eyes open for God. Even when he's nowhere to be found, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Evil, God, good. You see the order? Evil, God, good. That should remind us of Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purposes. Evil, God, good. Now, it is at this place we hit a very touchy point, very sensitive. He says to them in verse 19, do not be afraid. He's talking to his brothers yeah, yeah. who are responsible 
for his detour. If they hadn't put him in the pit, it all started when his brothers went left on him. Y'all did that to me. You hurt me. You wounded me. You messed over me. Nothing will keep you on a detour longer than unforgiveness. If you live in a realm of unforgiveness, you will stay on a detour. Now, to understand that, we have to understand forgiveness. Forgiveness means that you are not seeking to retaliate. Okay? You are not, see, it doesn't mean that you aren't hurt. It doesn't mean that, 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 that and forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Okay? You can forgive somebody with whom you are not yet ready to reconcile. Okay? Okay? Forgiveness doesn't mean you don't remember what happened. People say, well, God doesn't remember. When are you going to forget? No, God, God doesn't forget anything. God just doesn't hold it to our account. Okay? He doesn't forget in the sense that he has a memory lapse. Okay? So forgiveness means I am not seeking to retaliate. Why? Why do I not have to seek personal retaliation? I don't have to seek personal retaliation because Joseph said, God let you put me in this pit to bring about this result. That's what he says in verse 20. If you hadn't put me in the pit, I wouldn't have been picked up by the Ishmaelites. If I hadn't been picked up by the Ishmaelites, then I wouldn't have met Potiphar. If I didn't meet Potiphar, I wouldn't have been tempted by Potiphar's wife. If I wasn't tempted by Potiphar's wife, then I wouldn't have been put in prison. But if I wasn't put in prison, then I wouldn't have met the cupbearer. If I didn't met the cupbearer, then he wouldn't have told me about Pharaoh. But if I didn't know about Pharaoh, then I couldn't have been put in this position to be the second in charge so I could feed you when there was no food in the kingdom. So God used the pit to bring me to the palace. And the reason you can forgive, that doesn't mean there isn't accountability. There are two kinds of forgiveness, by the way. There is transactional forgiveness and there is independent forgiveness. What do I mean? Some people you have to forgive because they won't repent or can't repent. In other words, they've already died. You don't know where they are anymore or they just refuse to repent. That's called, I'll call it unilateral repentance. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and nobody had repented of anything. And yet he says, for Stephen did this. When Stephen was being stoned to death, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So he had to forgive even though nobody was repenting. Why? Because forgiveness releases you. It releases you. Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, the only way that faith will move mountains is if it's coupled with forgiveness. The moment unforgiveness rules, you are being bigger than God. Because you're doing something that, that he has the right to do and doesn't do. And doesn't do with you. You know, forgiveness is, is great when you need it. Not so great when you have to give it. 
but don't burn a bridge over which you yourself one day will have to cross. God mixed all of this together like Romans 8.28 says and he put it in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a blender and all things are working together for good. You know, you bake a cake, you don't eat the sugar by itself, the butter by itself, the nutmeg by itself, the flour by itself, but when that thing gets mixed up right, mm, mm, good. God is able to take the good, bad, and ugly, put it in his cosmic blender and bring you out of destiny. Take you to a place of usefulness. Take you to a place of purpose. Take you to a place of productivity. Don't settle for just living. Don't settle for staying on a detour. So much we could say because there's so much theology. If you want more, you can get it in the book. But the, the idea here is that God brought me to this place. Now let me say one other thing. Why does God do all this? Why, why not just take me from where I am to where I'm supposed to be? He says, to preserve many people alive. Okay, watch this. Your destiny is bigger than you. It always involves how God wants to use you to minister to others. The moment it's only about you, you're on a detour. In fact, we have got this thing so mixed up with prosperity theology today. You got people, bless me, I got my blessing, I've been blessed. I'm blessed and highly favored. They, everybody talking about being blessed. Okay, let, let's define blessing. In the Bible, blessing is experiencing, enjoying, and extending the goodness of God in your life. God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So if you are only wanting to be blessed, you are a cul-de-sac Christian. God is looking for conduit Christians. He wants to know he can flow too, so he can flow through. If he can't flow through, that's why 638 of Luke says, give and it, the thing that you give will boomerang back to you. If you need love, you better give some love. If you need peace, you better give some peace. If you need joy, extend some joy. If you need resources, give resources. Because God wants to see he can flow through before he flows too, because he wants to know you're not a selfie Christian. That you're not a self-centered Christian. He says, God did this to bring me to this place. Her name was Dorothy. And all, all the girl did was want to go home. I mean, Dorothy just wanted to go to Kansas. That's, that's all Dorothy wanted. The girl just wanted to go to Kansas. She's told, okay, now, girl, if you're going to go to Kansas, you've got to follow the yellow brick road. You know, you've got to follow the yellow brick road. The problem is, in trying to get to where she needed to go, she had to, she had to, she had to go to the Emerald City. She had to get to Oz because the wizard was in Oz. And if she could get to the wizard, the wizard would tell her how to get to Kansas. And she wanted to get to Kansas. And so you follow the yellow brick road, girlfriend, and, and you get to the wizard, and the wizard's going to tell you how to get to Kansas. The problem is 
There were a lot of problems on that yellow brick road. You got this evil queen that wants to mess her up. You got flying monkeys on the yellow brick road. You got, you got issues on the yellow brick road. But while there are issues on the yellow brick road, there's also ministry on the yellow brick road. Because we got a lion that needs some carriage. We got a tin man that needs a brain, and we got a, 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 a heart, and we got a scarecrow that needs a brain. So we're going we to minister while we walk. And we're going to do this thing in, in, in communion with other believers while we get to the wizard. So they go through the ups and downs because all my girl wants to do is reach her destination. But there are all these distractions trying to give her detours. Oh, but when she finally gets to the wizard, the wizard tells her, girl, all you got to do is click your heel. You click your heels three times, click, 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 and you're going to wake up back home where you belong. I don't know where your home is, where your destiny is. And I don't know what flying monkeys or evil witches or evil sinners or evil Satan is going to try to trip you up. All I know is God wants you to minister as you walk, as you obey, as you follow him. And then he wants you to sing what Dorothy said. We're off to see the Savior, the wonderful Savior of all. And when you are following Jesus Christ, he'll tell you how to get home. Because he alone knows where your destiny is located. Come on, let's get a lot of hand clap. Let's get a lot of hand clap. Did he preach? Did he preach? Hallelujah. Oh my God, my God, my God. Woo! What a word. Detours. What a, what a word. What a word. What a word. Praise the name of Jesus for this great servant of the Most High God. Thank my friend for such powerful, powerful word. Amen. Thank you for releasing us. Thank you for educating us. Thank you for inspiring us. Praise the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus Christ and the pardon of your sins, as Dr. Evans said, you, you must believe that he died for all your sins and that he was buried and he rose again the third day with all power in his hands. You can be saved tonight. God does a theological process called imputation. He imputes to us the righteousness that belongs to Jesus. And if you would be honest with God and honest with yourself, you can come to know Jesus Christ right now. And once you're saved, you're saved. Is there one, is there anybody that wants to give their life to Christ? Just raise your hand. Is there one? He's God the Son and he's the Son of God. He's deity. He's Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning 
in the ending. He always was. He's the wasness of was. Is there one? God bless you. you. May be seated. Thank you. Let's get the Lord a hand clap. Let's get the Lord a hand clap. Come on, we can do better than that. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Dr. Evans, the master of illustrations, too, by the way. We thank the Lord for the Word of God, and I have been helped, and just listening to him, I have, amen, been challenged. Thank God for the detours. Notice he didn't say dead ends, he said detours. Amen. Delay is not denial. Amen. Detours is not a dead end. Isn't that right? We trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not to our own understanding. Now, without any further ado, let me thank, and I should have said this earlier, any pastors out here, will you stand please? Any pastors? Amen. Any pastors? Praise the name of Jesus, brother. We love you. Thank you. Praise the name of Jesus. Thank you, man. Doctor, we, uh, God bless you. Thank you all for being here. Praise the name of Jesus. And uh, we just thank the Lord for it. His books are out there on the table. Please go buy one. Amen. And if you're interested in the 2018 retreat, we have uh, brochures for that as well. And um, let me say on a personal note, that uh, my dear friend of many years, Dr. Evans, you are phenomenal. Thank you of how the Lord has blessed you. Amen. How the Lord has kept you. And we are just better people edified as we live daily down here on earth, knowing that this is not our home. Can I get a witness? This is not our home. Praise the name of Jesus. And we had a graduation service today of one of our great members, ministers, and elders, Reverend uh, Neil Fagans, one home be with the Lord. And, and, and he has graduated. He has graduated. Can I get a witness? Praise the Lord. And so we thank the Lord again from whom all blessings flow. And I, I want to bring Dr. Uh, Evans back to dismiss you as he sees fit. And then I like him to uh, stand here a moment and or go out to his books and you greet him but we thank all of you for showing up tonight in the Lord good didn't didn't did not our hearts burn didn't we learn something tonight praise the name of Jesus hallelujah so we're going to bring him back up and we want to just say thank you Dr. Evans for such an eloquent and 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 great word from the word amen and, and I just want to thank you for the gifts that the Holy Spirit has placed in you. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Let's stand. Father, thank you for this great pastor, great pastor's wife, great church, great choir, great leaders. Uh, we thank you for how you're going to continue to use it in this area to advance your kingdom. Uh, may you bless them richly. May you strengthen them. May you meet all of their needs and beyond. And may your name be made greater through this house. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>